Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Black Women's Hour. Last week, we spoke about the Black and Jewish communities, and we spoke to two people on the intersection of both about what they thought that we could do going forward after the tumultuous time that we've had in British politics over the last five years. Uh, we had quite a lot of feedback, quite a lot of emails from last week. Uh, one of the stories that we covered last week was Kalechi, the actress, the Nigerian British actress who went on to Women's Hour. Well, she didn't actually get on, onto Radio 4's Women's Hour, it wasn't us. Um, and she didn't go on. Basically, there was a row about what had been said. Um, just to do a quick update on that, because we did have a bit of um, feedback on the way that we spoke about it and people wanted to add a few things to it. So essentially, um, we will put a link to Kalechi's podcast for her explanation of it. There was a row at the beginning. There was some said, stuff said off mic by the host, Emma Barnett. They are differing as to what it was. Kalechi has said that there was a lot of profanity and there was a lot of sort of name calling. She was spoken about pretty badly. Um, Emma Barnett is trying to say that didn't happen. We read her statement out last week and won't be reading it again. Um, and also there was somebody from End Violence Against Women UK who had said that, she didn't say what she heard, but she kind of seemed to back Kalechi in the fact that she said that what happened, you know, off, you know, when they were on mic, but off air was disgusting. So there has been a little bit of an update about this. Um, you can yeah. Bring so can you say, people have complained to the BBC about this, because this is actually a really serious issue that we need to take on board. People have complained to the BBC. Can you just say what their response was, Aisha? Well, the response was, <clears throat> there are, however, um, sorry, there are, however, claims that are circulating about the off-air conversation that are wrong. For example, we can categorically say that Emma Barnett did not swear or use bad language at any point. Thank you once again for taking the time to contact us with your feedback, which has been shared with senior management. So they're completely, um, categorically, in fact, as Kalechi said in her tweet, uh, refusing, denying that any bad language was used, which to me seems short-sighted. To Jeez. me, I think it's stupid because I think at yeah. this point, so many black women are offended about what happened. And what I think is, let's just be honest, listen, mm -hmm. I've worked in the media, I've worked on these type of shows. I have been caught out on these types of shows before. I was on yeah. a TV show with Peter Hitchens and we were arguing and we did not know we could be heard. And he was like, oh, it's me and I was going, shut up. I was like, I don't know who you are. And honestly, when I heard it back, I just apologized. Do you know what I mean? Okay, yeah. is that was on air. The thing mm. is this, right? Yeah. Let's just be honest and let's just be adults about this. I'm a black woman. If I was hosting something and people brought comments to me of a guest that's coming on, irrespective of whether I knew they were accurate or not, if all I could see or in front of me is this guest once said all black women have got a bad attitude. This guest mm. once said all black women do is twerk. This, this guest said black women are always angry. I go to the beat, to the beat, to the beat, 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 mother beat. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, I would say it. I'm not going to lie. So if she said it, if she's a Jewish woman and she said it, I don't think anybody wouldn't understand. The yeah. difference is when it's in a work setting, you go, you know what? Hold my hands up. That did happen. I apologise for my role in it. Yes. And I think the, what caused the bitterness is the fact that she was upset about Kalechi's um, uh, anti-Semitic comments, but she then went on to introduce Lionel Shriver, okay? And Lionel Shriver is, uh, she's most famous for We Need to Talk About Kevin. She's an author and she's made some horrific comments. Um, Absolutely on, horrendous comments. Uh, on Question Time, she yes, women. She said all kinds of stuff. So how come, and this is what causes tension between communities. How come you can have somebody on there like that who says all the stuff mm -hmm. about black women uh, or black people or Muslim people, but you it's not an, a level playing field, if you know what I mean. So that's what's caused the problem. Well, Emma Barnett wasn't outraged about Lionel Shriver's racism to the point where she had to pre her, say before she came on to her producers in you know bad language, essentially, right? Yeah. Exactly. About her, yeah? Exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, 
Hello? Hi, Hi. how are you? We just, are we you going to be okay? Yeah, okay. we are, we are. We just started uh, having a conversation. We're going to pick this up in a little while, um, simply because we have Mr. John Barnes, who is our other guest for today, and I haven't even introduced Cindy Hansen, who is, so they are two guests for today, so please welcome them. Thank you guys for agreeing to come on Black Woman's Hour. We ended up, right, we ended up with so much material, um, some feedback from the last show, but also something quite big happened in the United States this week. What happened was, you know, something quite big, you know, just like a, you know, it was a little thing, a little thing. Um, so they have got the 46th president of the United States, who is uh, Joe Biden, who was the former vice president under Barack Obama. But what was a first was his vice president was um, Kamala Harris. And Kamala Harris identifies as a black woman, um, but her mother is South Asian. So a lot of people were speaking about, oh my God, this is brilliant. You know, it's South Asian representation. It's excellent. Uh, it's a black woman, you know. And what I wanted to talk about, because there's other people who didn't feel the same way. And there is that hashtag, Kamala is a cop. Um, and they had was bringing to light her past record as I think she was district attorney, I think it was California and certain things that she'd done in that role. So what we're gonna be speaking about today is representation. As minority people, um, is how important is representation? And does it matter about the record of the person that is representing? Is it enough just to see a black face in a high place? Um, and the journalist Mehdi Hassan and I had a conversation that didn't go well on Twitter about it. Well, yeah, because he made the comment saying, oh, you know, oh, you know, just because Obama drone bombed innocence, uh, it doesn't mean we can't celebrate him being the black president, first black president. Now, I had, I objected to the fact that he said, oh, you know, he just drone bombed some innocence. And I didn't like the way that it was phrased. I have, on reflection, I do understand what he's saying. And we have had some comments from people who saw the spat and wanted us to speak about it. There were certain images about Obama, like one that I really remember is Obama bending down for the young black boy to touch his hair. And then the boy was touching his hair and touching Obama's. That was significant for me. <laughs> but at what point do we say, you know, we did have a few comments. I just, do you want to bring up a few of the comments that were, were said? Do you want to read a couple of them out? Before we uh, which ones are we on? Uh, I've got the Medi tweet here. Uh, yeah, just tweet what... Put yeah, read that. There. So he said, in hindsight, lol, this was a badly phrased tweet, now being deliberately misread by bad faith people. Um, <clears throat> what he originally said, I think, was, I love how uh, people think this is some great own or gotcha of my tweet. So Obama being the first black president wasn't worth celebrating, even though he drone striked a few people. But so he's basically saying that he misspoke essentially in his tweet. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, we do know he has done work criticizing the Obama administration, right? But it did sound a bit callous and offhand to that be like, even though drone struck some people, you know, eh, it felt, <laughs> yeah. felt a bit callous. I mean, so what what would you say about this, John, in terms of like representation? Do you think it's more important to see, because obviously the Tories over here comment about having the most diverse cabinet. That's not really helping black and brown communities right now. Do you think it's important to see people, black and brown people up there no matter what? Or do you think we have to hold them accountable for what they do? Well, of course we have to hold them accountable, but we can't hold them accountable in terms of representing black people themselves without representing the country. Obama was the first black president, but of course, if you look at all the black American comedians, they said all of a sudden that you can fry chicken in the White House and you know power to the people. He's the president of the United States, which is a Western capitalist country. He can't all of a sudden change the, the, the way that, that the business is done, regardless of what he feels, because he has to represent the people. And at this moment in time, because the equality isn't there in terms of not just representation, but in terms of where we should be in terms of equality, he can't carte blanche come in and then say, I'm gonna make everything equal for black people, which is why he's had problems um, when you're talking about some of the, the, the social issues that he's trying to, to implement in America, you know, Medicare and stuff like that, because of course this is alien to America. Um, 
first of all, I just have to say I'm just very glad that Donald Trump's not there anymore. Um, well done. I've got a, a cousin of mine from Jamaica, um, is a federal judge. She lives in America. Um, she's had a hell of a time with Donald Trump because he was trying to get her up, because she was born in Jamaica. She's now a, a federal judge there in Washington. And of course, he had a hell of a time with her. So it's similar to Kamala Harris. Regardless of what Kamala Harris has done in the past, she had to be representative as a lawyer in terms of what the law is. She can't in the past do what she felt was right to do um, in terms of, even if you're looking at, you know, black men in prison and the disproportionate amount of black men in prison, she can all of a sudden as a lawyer or, 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 or advocate to get rid of all of them because she's black. And this is where we have to be very careful when our expectations as black people run away with us. Because when we then have representation, we expect immediate change, which can't happen. You have to go along with actually doing it slowly and trying to change. I will just, before I bring Cindy in, make a comment. Um, Aisha, have you got that comment there from Nishat about uh, Kamala's, I know we're all out of order now, but Kamala's uh, past coming back to haunt her? Because I don't think the Let me have a look. I don't know if I've got that. How, how did you... Got the Google Doc with the question. Oh. Oh, okay, fine. I, I don't think the issue was that black people were in prison, she can't just take them out of prison. It was, can you read the comment from the chart about that? Yeah, about give me a, a South Asian I think I'm talking generally. I'm not talking specifically about that. You know, no, I'm I talking generally I when a black person gets into a position of power. Yeah. Maybe we then think that things are just going to change because now a black man's in the White House or Kamala Harris is now, you know, the, the No, no, no. I don't, I don't think that was the issue. I think the issue has been with uh, Kamala Harris was the fact that as the um, uh, district attorney, she actually Im implemented policies which hurt black people more than anybody else. It's not like she was just carrying out the policies that already existed. What she had done, there was a very, uh, in California, they use a lot of uh, prison labor, cheap mm. labor, they use the inmates. So what she had done was had extended um, sentences and I've got yeah, can you read Nishat's comment quickly and then I'll bring Cindy So in. she says, there are several layers to this. It's always good to see a person that looks like you in a position of authority and respectability, especially if this was previously a bastion of white males. So you can't take that away. But if the person has made it like Kamala and Priti Patel, and the reality of what they do does nothing to improve the material prospects of the people they supposedly represent, then there's no point, it becomes tokenism. So even if they say they got there on their own merit, which undoubtedly she did, she did rather, it's not mater materialistically helped people. Now the big problem is Kamala Harris's past will come back to haunt her. She was the district attorney in California, I think, and what she did was deliberately extended prison sentences so that the state could benefit from prisoners' labors for longer. She was also, also boasted about being tough on crime. The reality of that was that she was tough on black people and incarcerated huge amounts of them. And interestingly, there are parallels between her and Keir Starmer at the DPP. What is uh, significant about Kamala Harris is that she's probably going to be president because Joe Biden might peg it as he's so old. Um, so she's a very powerful woman in that respect, but a lot of South Asian women I have seen have been quite offended by Mehdi Hassan's comments about her eating South Asian cuisine if that, as if that's the essence of being South Indian. It's pathetic because it relies on cultural stereotypes and we're renowned for all sorts of different things such as science, engineering, business, um, and certain states in South India have the highest rates of literacy. Um, and the diaspora reflects that. So she made a lot of interesting points. I do. What, what was your position on this, Cindy? What do you think? Do you feel as Kamala being voted in, in terms of representation? Hi, Cindy. Hi, uh, yeah. Got, hello, can you see me? Because um, yeah, I had right, a yeah. little sort of um, problems with the internet, so forgive me. Um, yeah, I, it's a difficult one because we talk about power. Well, what, what is power? I mean, I don't know if this table that we're talking about is a table that is really um, has the interests of black people anyway. So that's that's something that I immediately speak to and, and probably echo um, John's comments about, you know, the ex over expectations in places where, you know, the, the table is already set. And in that table of America, particularly is, is rooted in colonialism and, and a lot of and white supremacy. So if anybody joins that table, the way they'll have to chip down that is a hard slog anyway. Um, so I think in terms of representation, um, yes, it's nice to see our own faces on something, of course. Um, but I just don't think that, um, I think in 2021, we need a bit more than that. And we have to really understand what we're 
we're suggesting is positive representation. So with Kamala, um, yeah, she's been known as the top cop, hasn't she? That That's literally what she was known as on yes. the attorneys and, and so on. And um, But it's, it's, it's nuanced, it's so nuanced because yes, in one, one situation we saw the picture um, of Kamala and Obama with the fist bump. And I said, immediately, I need that picture. As soon as I saw them do that, I was like, that is a charming representation of, of a type of blackness that I'd like to see. But the two characters in question doing that are highly problematic. And that's the thing that we have to constantly navigate. So I think I've kind of agreed with most of what's been said. It's not straight, it's certainly not black and white, no pun intended. It's, it's very nuanced and pretty complicated. And anybody expecting people to, um, you know, be, saviors of, of the black experience and, and black struggle just because they are in um, places of political power in Western uh, politics is very naive to me. Uh, baby, can I just can I just jump in? Um, yeah. First of all, she should be tough on crime. She should be tough on crime. And the fact that there are more black people in prison because she's tough on crime is not because she's tough on crime, it's because of the systemic racism that black people go through to disenfranchisement to then make them be likely, more likely than others, to then go to prison. It's not because she's being tough on crime, it's because the system is designed against black people. So until yes, you dismantle that system, until you dismantle that system, then you can't ask Kamala Harris to come in and not be tough on crime. What he can ask her to do is try to dismantle the system to make black people disproportionately suffer well, from being, being arrested. Absolutely, but that's my expectation. If I go into a system that disproportionately affects us, that the reason why I'm going and the reason when I have that conversation, I'm talking my contracts with, you know, this is your job, Cindy, congratulations. My, my particular caveats, and you know, if it sounds sanctimonious, so be it, is that I'm gonna be doing this on the proviso that you recognize that there is a systemic injustice towards us. And my job will be to be dismantling. That is not what she has had a track record in. So as much as I understand your argument, that has never been what Kamala's done. She's enforced a very problematic system, tough on crime, even those three words together, we know historically both here and over the Atlantic are, are just littered with, with race, racist undertones. It I'm takes more than it, Kamala, Kamala Harris to dismantle that. It takes more than Kamala Harris's addition to really, dismantle really, that. It has really. been systemic for, for hundreds of years. So for the fact that she's been around for a few years and that hasn't been dismantled, we need more of that no, rather than just thinking she has been okay. against that. Can I bring this back to the UK then? Because we're kind of trying to be a UK focused show. Um, what I want to ask is to, to all of you is, or is this question. What if, right, this has been the argument. So we have some, some high profile conservative black and brown people. So we have, let's just think who are the most high profile ones in the Tories. We've got Priti Patel. We had Sajid David, who was Home Secretary and Chancellor. We have Rishi Sunak, and Sean we have Kwasi Kwarteng, and James Cleverly, and who, Aisha? Sean Bailey? No, no, he's not, he's not in the, no, I'm talking about just oh, the have, actually, no, okay. like his mayor wasn't um, after. Yeah, so we have those people. Now, we can say that the system already exists as it does, but every, anytime there's a Tory racist scandal or there's some kind of racist scandal, they will bring out James Cleverly, who will sit and talk, absolute nonsense or they will bring out quasi so they brought out james cleverly once and what i found really funny he was talking about blackface right and he actually said it with a straight face he goes well you know i don't agree with it i wouldn't do it and i was like you don't have to like i was like oh my goodness i don't know he's quite light-skinned he, he looks like for goodness <laughs> and, quasi. and they were brought quasi on to talk about the wind windrush to say oh it's not that bad Kwasi is from Ghana. The Windrush scandal hit Caribbean people. Kwasi's from Ghana. Kwasi went to Eton, right? So what I'm saying what is when they have these people who in their cabinet and they bring them forward to speak on these issues, isn't that kind of, you know, that's misusing representation, isn't it? Because they're not qualified to speak on these things. It's Kwasi. kind of posh washing, as it well, were, instead of whitewashing. Well, yeah, I should, to touch on that, I think um, we have a major classism issue. The few that actually, you know, transfer into the middle classes, as it were, are the ones that tend to overrepresent the black community anyway. So I'm consistently vexated that voices like myself, that I'd call the silent majority in my community, it's either either, yeah, Etonians and 
the few that went to Oxford or the celebrities like Mr. Barnes or, you know, but it's never sort of like the, the, the core audit, you know, people like myself who have a lot to say or worse still, it will be the lowest um, common denominator. So it will be roadman in it, like, yeah, 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 that kind of thing. So we never get a, a strong representation. I appreciate we're only 3% of this uh, country, but no, I rarely hear voices like myself or yours, Ava, or or even yours, Aisha. John, I mean, I comment. I used to go on TV and comment a lot. John, what would you say? Because um, you you comment quite a lot, and there has been quite a lot of controversy about some of the things that you say. Yeah. I'm sure that when you, Cindy, I, I don't Cindy know is absolutely at... right. Cindy is absolutely right, and that's what I've been saying for a long time. It's okay for John Barnes, or okay for Ian Wright, or it's okay for Raheem Sterling to talk about injustice. But unfortunately, I am not. The, 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 I don't have the profile I did when I was a player and what I've been saying since I've retired and because I haven't got the profile it's not carrying much weight is that what Marcus Rashford done is what we should be doing Marcus Rashford is talking about what's going on yes it's not a black issue the inner city issue but it's disenfranchised kids what Raheem Sterling should be talking about is what's happening in Stonebridge Park he should take 200 kids into a press conference and say these kids aren't being given education access to social care housing job opportunities instead of giving the 200 kids cup final tickets that's doing nothing for them because they have a voice Cindy hasn't got a voice. We have a voice. I haven't got the voice anymore because all I, when people talk to me about how terrible it is in football, I say, yes, okay, it's terrible in football, but what's happening in the communities? What we do is we get an elite group of people, be they women, be they politicians, and we, an elite group of people want to be invited to the party. We want to be invited to the top table. This has been going on for a thousand years. It's happened to, to white working class and white middle class people when middle class people as long ago as the Magna Carta, where they lobbied the, the, the masses to get more power for themselves, purporting to represent the masses. And that's what we do. Do we care about a, a Romanian official who's going to call somebody black? And that's going to be on the pages for four days, whereby you have black kids in the, in the inner cities who are stabbing each other, but no one cares about that. I call them, the people you're talking about, I call them the Vichy French. What the Nazis did, they got Vichy collaborators to then French collaborators to then tell the French people that this is what's right for you. So if you look what's happening with a lot of the black elite and the female elite and the Muslim elite, a lot of them are talking about, we need more representation to be seen. I would rather have much representation and have more action down below where the black kids, black communities have got nothing. And it's okay to give a black man a job or give a woman a job, but is that going to help the communities? That's not helping the communities. All that's, when you talk about Give me position of power and I'll help you up the ladder. We create an environment down below so you can climb up the ladder yourself, but we're not doing that. I think there's a, a, th a couple points with what you just said. I think that what you're saying doesn't exist. Uh, these little things, they don't exist in a vacuum. So I do think if there has been a racist incident on the pitch, I mean, I, a few years ago, you were on it actually, I didn't meet you then, but we did Clark Carlisle's Is Football Racist? And we were speaking about that. And I think that what has happened is there's a trickle down effect. So I think if we're gonna dismiss, oh, you know, what was said to somebody on a football pitch, was it racially, you know, it empowers people, that's the problem. When people see people in certain positions saying racist things or being allowed to say with racist things, it empowers people. And in football, there is that mob mentality. Also, in you see, this is the problem as well, because Raheem Sterling, if he's given um, 200, whatever he gave cup final tickets, why, why are we, this is what happens because they're looked to, to be representatives, but he's a really young guy. So for him to do that, he might just have thought, I would have really loved to get tickets. He hasn't thought beyond. And I think that is the problem. Are we putting too much pressure on every single black face in, in uh, the public eye? To go do something, you do something. And that's the problem with representation. Yes. And at what point, does the representation when it's, you know, at what point are we, do you think we'll ever get to the point where a black person just does something bad and we're not all tarred with it? Cause you but, know how we, you know, when we were younger, we used to watch crime watch and go for God's sake, don't be black, God's sake, don't be black. Yes, yeah. But I was just gonna say, it's always a lot of pressure because there's only one person in the room. And this is when we're talking about the systemic nature of racism. We end up with all these policies that are clear. I mean, you know, clearly not made with somebody who, has experienced what they're actually talking about in mind. And that happens everywhere in the conversations. And, but just having one person, I think, like you said, is not, it doesn't change anything. One person on a table of 15 people that are making this policy, right? They're not good, that's not enough. 
And that's kind of, and this is, speaks to the point, I don't know when you get to a point where it's enough, but you can see just having little bits of representation has made changes in terms of you can watch programs and you can tell there was a black person or a gay person involved because they would not have that insight, right? Otherwise, and I think that makes a difference. Yeah, that's- well, What that do we do with the power we have? What, John, I'm gonna, John, can I ask you a question? What do we do with the question? power we have? What do we do with the power we have? Mark, you know what Marcus Rashford could have done? He could have said, here's 200,000 pounds. That's one week's wages. Go and, go and feed, feed some kids for a, for a month. But he didn't do that. He changed government policy. That's the power that they have. So if you have these black actors, footballers, who can change government policy instead of saying one racist... Um, but do you think they knew that Bulgaria, before Marcus Rashford? Because he's, he's like one in a million, Bulgaria. isn't he? One second. Sorry, that racist family in Bulgaria does not affect what goes on in Brixton. But we have, it's all over the papers. You've got a lot of black elites talking about ban that fan in Bulgaria. If they, imagine if they were to say, what's going on in our inner cities? Yes, that's terrible. We understand that. That's cultural. But that is not as important as what's going on in the inner cities. So therefore, if Marcus Rashford can change government policy, imagine if all the footballers came out and go, yes, when I go to Montenegro, I get racially abused. But okay, forget about that. Because how is that affecting what's going on in England? What's affecting going on in England is the fact that our kids can't get an education. They're stabbing each other. And they can't get access can't to get a meal. And if they push that agenda, we'll do something about it. I think the the what I was actually trying to ask is, you know, we're being put into positions where we're probably not qualified. Like I will never. I've been asked to appear on TV and radio to speak about knife crime. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's nothing that's really affected. And I think sometimes as black people, what we have to do is pass the mic. Um, and I don't think that's been happening. I mean, we speak about Marcus Rashford, but let's be, I mean, that guy, he's 23. He's incredible. Yeah. And obviously he came- Like I said, he's one in a million, from, right? It's from his um, childhood and what he's experienced, because you've seen a documentary with his mum and stuff. Um, but there's not that many people with that kind of foresight. So do you think sometimes as black people, we need to hold our hands up and say that we're not qualified to speak on certain things? John, do you think? Well. We're, we can speak on, on racial injustice. That's what we can speak on. We've been going it for, for thousands of years. But it's more so, nuanced than that. Like I said, like, no, but no, listen, Marcus Rashford is being advised. Marcus Rashford has an all of a sudden come out with this. Yes, he knows, but he's got people advising him. And people, good people are advising him to do the right thing to help the community. What normally happens when you have elite people, particularly young footballers, the advisors are part of an elite group who want to be invited to the party. So they say to these young footballers, say what we need is a black man in the boardroom. Say what we need is more black agents. Say what we need is more black people in power. And that's what we hear from our black players, rather than what Marcus Rashford has done, has said exactly that. I'll use the example, bringing it back to Women's Hour, Tarana Burke, the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement was about what young black girls were going through the inner cities 10 years ago. It was hijacked by a group of Hollywood actresses. So now the Me Too movement is about Harvey Weinstein and some Hollywood actresses who were, may have been um, sexually abused. That is not what the Me Too, that's not what Tarana Burke did, but that has now been forgotten. The original Me Too movement was about young black girls who were in inner cities. Now, nobody even knows that. The same thing with football. We're trying to get an elite group of people into more power and forgetting about the disenfranchised 90%. And that's why I so love Rob Marcus Fratton and I want more high profile black people to talk about that. Not talk about how terrible it is in Montenegro, or Bulgaria or a Romanian, or Romanian referee. Okay, um, what, okay, so you're called on to comment about racial issues um, quite a lot. You, as I was trying to say, I think we got cut off, but when you make some of your comments, there are a lot of black people, you will see yourself trending, and I'm sure I've said stuff myself, where you have made a comment and quite a substantial amount of the black community have gone, hey, what? I mean, do you listen to what black people say? Like in terms of the Liam Neeson incident, where yeah. Liam was saying, and you came out with a comment. Uh, can you remind us what you said about that? Because we can't. I, I said a lot of things. First of all, what did you hear Liam? Ne I'll tell you what black people heard Liam Neeson say. Black, per black people heard him say, I wanted to kill a black person. That's what they heard him say. Yes? Shall I tell you what I heard Liam Neeson say? I heard Liam Neeson say, because we talk about the nuances around it. Liam Neeson was asked, is there a time in your life when vengeance played a negative part in your life and he said yes there was a time in my life when vengeance he was making a film about vengeance played a negative part he told this story about when his cousin got raped by somebody who was black 
And he said, for one week, and this is how negative he's saying, it affected me. For one week, I wanted to kill a black person. He said, after one week, this is in the 70s. He said, after one week, I then got help from the priest because I realized that this was not good for me. This was destroying my soul. It was destroying my life. So after one week, I went and got help because I knew that it was wrong. That is what I heard him say. That is what I heard him say. Can I, can I say something there? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, um, the thing is, is that I can understand the vengeance of him wanting to kill a man, but he has to accept that he had a pre- um, indoctrinated level of racism for him to dis- to say you'll kill any a, a black man as if absolutely it's endemic in the black and a black male to race absolutely so what absolutely. he said whilst he was trying to make a point he mm-hmm. tripped up and he he actually revealed his underlying unconscious racism and that's the one week that most people want to have him up on he yeah. didn't have to say that he no, could have second. just said yeah, this, yeah. yeah. but that was for one week in his life when he had this no, unconscious bias. No, but it doesn't bias. matter. It's not about no, it the fact matter. that he wanted to I'll tell you why it matters. I'll tell you why it matters. Because people have this unconscious bias their whole life. They don't admit it. They don't opt up to it. And as long as they don't get caught, everything is okay. So if he says, I recognize, I recognize myself. The question myself, was not about racism. If the question was, was there a time, if the, if the question was, was there a time when you felt like you had racist tendencies, reveal that, and he said that, that would make more sense. He no, no, brought no, no, in no. a racist aspect to his no. idea of vengeance. That's no, because he was making a film about vengeance. The film was, his film was, was about vengeance and revenge. And they said, has there been a time? And in, in fact, if you listen from the start, you know what he started saying? He started saying, growing up in Northern Ireland in the 70s, in Northern Ireland, he started talking about Catholics and Protestants. He was going to make the point that as a Catholic, he wanted to kill Protestants because that is how you've been conditioned to think. And he thought, no, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I'll use another example of how vengeance played a negative part. So he made an example of how vengeance played a negative and destructive part in his body for one week. Now, why I say that I admire him is because so many people are unconsciously biased, racially or otherwise, they don't admit it, they never address it, they and, and you continue your whole life, as we see now why black people are being disenfranchised because people won't admit that they're unconsciously biased. He did it, and he said he got over it after one week, and this was in 1970. And this is why people are afraid to say how they really feel, because if people then said, yeah, you know, I used to be racist, because of the way I've been conditioned. People do say I used to be racist and stuff. I think the problem that we have with what Liam Neeson said, I'm, I agree with what Cindy's saying. And what he said was outrageous. On top of that, we have to look at the disparity and who has the freedom to talk and say these things. If you want to look at this, like I said, they don't. these issues don't exist in a vacuum. There were Muslim kids who went on, who wrote stuff after uh, bombings in Afghanistan, going, I hate this country, whatever. They were swept up. They barely pressed post on Facebook before they were swept up. After the riots, there were black kids that were online saying stuff like, I hate the police. I've been stopped and searched. I just want to kill a policeman. Boom, you're picked up. I think that, honestly, this level of forgiveness or this way to understand it's not equal across the board there's huge disparity and there are huge consequences for black people and muslim people brown whatever speaking that way you cannot go back to and arrest liam neeson for 1970 when he said for one week i went through this so i don't know what i don't know what that's the that's the sort of thing exactly so i understand that no 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 i understand exactly what you're saying you can't can't use liam neeson in that context i understand exactly what you're saying but that's you can't use Liam Neeson in that context. That's not. And I'll tell you, uh, another thing about this, quickly, just let me just say this quickly. We, I can't understand that. You can't understand that. Do you understand the Catholic and Protestant dynamic in terms of what vengeance and revenge means? I do understand. I understand, I understand yeah. what rape is, okay. and I understand okay. that rape is a okay. terrible thing. Tell you, and people if you're a Protestant, I spoke to Eamon Holmes about this. If you were a Protestant, it's okay if you're a Catholic, yeah? And a Protestant policeman kills a, 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 a Catholic. Your duty as a Catholic is not to kill the Protestant policeman that killed him, it's to kill any Protestant because all Protestants are the enemy. 
Of course, it's wrong. It doesn't make sense. But this is how we have been conditioned. Are we going to blame no, what goes on? In this is, this is John, this is completely different. This is yeah. different. Simply because you're talking about, like, issues between... I do know the Irish... I mean, my sister had an Irish fiancé who forced me to learn this stuff. And yeah. so that is very different. If he had said... Why wouldn't he say, if your friend was raped, right? I, 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 I understand okay. what you're saying. It happened a long time ago. He thought this a long time ago. Okay. If yeah. your friend was raped, why would it bother you if a black or white man did it? Why would you be looking for a black man? No, 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 yeah. We have to talk one at a time, seriously. Um, yeah. I understand it was somebody black, but yeah. why did you racialize it? Because it's not the issue. It's like when I used to, when people talk about, you know, if somebody murdered, um, you know, uh, my friend Aisha, for instance, and it was a white guy that murdered, and it wasn't a racially motivated murder, it was just a murder. I might not want to go around, you know, if it say it was domestic violence, that's a very common thing that happens between men and women. Say she was commit, uh, killed in domestic violence incident by a white guy, but the issue wasn't racial, it was just domestic violence. Am I going to want to go and kill every white guy or am I going to want to go and kill every man? That's the, I think that's You're not. The point. Because you haven't been conditioned, you've not been conditioned to think that way. I do want to kill that. Catholics, <laughs> Catholics and Protestants are. But I just want to add. Sorry. Catholics are conditioned to say all Protestants are the enemy. Of course they're wrong, but we don't walk in their shoes. This is how they have been conditioned to think. So therefore, okay. if you are okay. conditioned to think that way, when it turns out to be a black man, all black men become the enemy. If it was a Chinese man, all Chinese men, all Italians. Now he's wrong, but this is how he has been conditioned to think. Okay. And we well, can't I'm, understand I'm, that. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to move on from the Lee and Neeson thing for, for thing and just take it back to the beginning because uh, that conversation has been hashed out lots of times by different people in the press and social media and whatever. Mm -hmm. So what I want to ask is when, if there are black people who have said, has have black people ever given you any feedback on your comments about race that you've thought, actually, maybe they're right about that. Maybe I misspoke. Maybe I said something wrong or, or do you just feel, I, how do you feel about that? Well, um, we have to talk specifics. Because we can't quote generally. I mean, generally they say that because we can talk about the Bernardo Silva, for example, okay. or, or I don't know if you know that incident, like the Liam Neeson incident. Because the problem that I'm having is that a lot of white people are giving me a lot of stick on Twitter because they're saying that I'm saying everything is racist, and then black people are saying I'm saying nothing is racist. You have to look at incidents. So therefore, when you started off the question talking about racism in football, racist incidents on the pitch, there are incidents on the pitch that are not racist but can be perceived as racist but you have to look at each specific incident. You can't just say because it's a black-white confrontation on a pitch, it's racist. And okay. that is what I do. I look at each specific incident. Like, I'll use an example, Rudiger at Chelsea, when he thought he was race, racial abuse at Tottenham, the game got stopped. And because they have not only voice recognition, but they have the, the lip readers, he was getting abuse. But it wasn't racist abuse. And you're allowed to racially abuse people. So not everything is racist. And what I do is I look at each incident and I come up with whether I feel that that's racist or not. And unfortunately, I get a lot of stick because people say, I'm saying nothing is racist. And some people say, I say everything is racist. Okay, I'll give you a specific incident. Cindy, yeah. did you want to add something quickly there? Yeah, I guess I, I would like to ask John as well, like, do you think at some point that maybe you're not the right person to be asked questions regarding race, um, given your, your you know, prominence? But for me, sometimes I step aside knowing that I might not be equipped for answering that because many, many of your experiences might be wholly individualistic, but as we've spoken before, they don't really pertain to the, the greater caucus of the people you say that you would rather we just spoke about um, that. Speak less no, I don't know if you're there. I do not answer. I'm so sorry. I never answered specifically. And we I never answered specifically about life. myself. John Barnes doesn't suffer. John Barnes doesn't suffer from racism. I've got a nice house. I've got a nice car. Sure. A banana may come I, on yeah, the field. I, ha I had broken up, so apologies. Yeah. Yeah. I speak about disenfranchised communities. I don't speak about myself. I don't say I want a job as a manager. Isn't it terrible? I'm getting racist abuse because I'm privileged. I speak about, I'll give an example. I'm walking down the street in London and a black road sweeper stops me and he goes, Barnsley, well, I feel sorry for you. You can't get a job as a manager. Let's march on Downing Street because we need more black managers. I'm saying, where do you live? Where do your kids go to school? Who's speaking for you? Who's speaking for you? And you expect me to then say they're racist in Bulgaria 
I'd rather say what's going on with you, not what's going on with me. So when you say am I the wrong person to speak about, I'm the wrong person to speak because I don't experience what black people go through, but I speak for them because I don't look at my experiences of me being on television, me being given celebrity privilege and, and, and say everything is okay. I think I'm the, talking about what's going on in the inner cities. I think the issue is this though. Um, I didn't come from an inner city. I went to boarding school, whatever. Um, I'm called all sorts of all that. I, I don't really care. But what I'm saying is, I think the mistake that we have is to look at racism only through the lens of poverty. Because there are footballers out there driving nice cars that get stopped, get inconvenienced. There are, Dawn Butler was in the House of Commons, asked if she was a cleaner, and she's a member of parliament. Diane Abbott was shadow home secretary, and she gets the worst racism. So I think if we reduce it to a class and a poverty issue, I had this discussion on Newsnight once, you know, and there was a guy from Saatchi and Saatchi there. And all they kept talking about race, and they kept talking about benefits and this and that. And I was saying that's not the only thing that we have to face. But since uh, we're running out of time, and John, we want to ask a couple of questions. Um, there was a Sky interview after the death of George Floyd, and sadly we can't upload it. Um, do you remember after you gave an interview, but you did make a distinction between systemic racism and racist incidents. Yeah. So, um, a question that we have for you was, how are you able to separate the two? You've kind of answered it, but do you have anything else to add? So you would say the thing that happened on the pitch is just a racist incident. And you're talking about people in inner cities being, is that, that, that Okay, systemic, systemic racism affects black people every day of their lives. Racist incident happens to John Barnes on a Saturday for two minutes when a banana comes on the field. Then after that, I can go to the front of the queue to get to the nicest restaurant. Police may stop me, but when they know I'm John Barnes, I can carry on my whole life. For the rest of the week, I don't experience any racism at all. Systemic racism is much is what we really have to challenge. And once we get rid of systemic racism, the racist incidents will stop. But we're doing it the other way around. We're targeting racist incidents rather than looking at systemic racism. I think a lot of black people do agree with that, that racism has been reduced to just name calling. And it's not just about yes. name calling. Um, Cindy, uh, did you have anything that you wanted to add just there? Because we did have a couple... Oh, oh, this is a question we got for you, John. I don't know. <laughs> if you had to choose between being British or Jamaican, which would you choose? Because, like, when I was younger, I used to call myself Caribbean and stuff. Like, I would have failed the Norman Tebbit cricket test. Um, but as I got older and started going to Caribbean more, and they were like, where do you come from? I was like, here. They're like, you don't. Um, like, <laughs> I'm going to tell you straight. Which, well, well I, I, I am, now that I'm not John Barnes superstar footballer anymore, um, I'm treated as a Jamaican. And of course, a bit like when Ben Johnson won the World the Olympics, then all of a sudden when he got done for drugs the next week, he was Jamaican-born Ben Johnson, but he won the Olympics for Canada. So I'm finding that myself anyway, but I always knew that that would happen. So I see myself as both. I'm born Jamaican, my family live in Jamaica. I am treated as a Jamaican, but I'm, I'm, I'm British Jamaican. And but so when, you when, go there, when it comes to your kids, the second part of that question, um, because there are a lot of people, this discussion comes up a lot, um, when it comes to people of mixed heritage, what do you tell your kids? Would you tell your kids to identify as black or mixed or choose their own? Well, for, first of all, because of my privilege, which I understand, my celebrity privilege, my children have been brought up in a nice little village. My son's a plastic surgeon, my daughter's a doctor, my other son's a banker, he's got a first in maths at Leeds. They don't go through a black experience. They know that they're black, but very much like me, they understand racism, systemic racism, and they do not experience it at all. So they don't judge, they don't judge their own lives or the, 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 the racial discourse in terms of what happens to them. They see the injustice out in the world as much as it doesn't touch them at all. And that's why I'm so proud of them because they don't speak for themselves because they're fantastic, they're doing very well, but they understand what actually goes on. And that is what the elite group of people should be doing. Not saying we want more power. We should be saying, let us get more equality or equal opportunities for people underneath us. When I, I say underneath us, I'm not being- And I think flat. something your son could do is um, give me a free tummy tuck, please. <laughs> for black, for black power. The plastic surgeon, funny enough, consultant. <laughs> But he no. does car crashes and burns. Oh, you okay. want cosmetic surgery. Well. You don't need it. You don't need it. Well. Um, okay. Uh, uh, did, did we have any other questions for John? Oh, yeah. Somebody said beyond... Okay, you were speaking about what Marcus Rafford does. Beyond the public statements and comments you make about race and football, is there meaningful action that you take behind the scenes that we don't hear about? Well, there's no meaningful action I can take because I haven't got that profile anymore. A lot of people may remember John Barnes, but I am not on Sky, BBC, I get invited on now again. That's why the footballers and the, and the actors, the current ones are the ones who have the power. 
I can just argue with people on Twitter because of course I, and in fact, I'm getting marginalized more and more because when I go onto these programs and they talk to me about how terrible it is, I said, what's happening in your institution? I've just seen that the BMA people, the, the medical society have now said that um, uh, the, the medical profession is their systemic racism towards BAME, which I hate that term anyway, but let's use it so we understand systemic racism. So there's systemic racism towards the BMA people, police, football. What does that tell us? That is everywhere in society. So let's not target one particular industry, absolve ourselves of responsibility by saying it's a problem in football. It's a problem with the police. It's a problem everywhere. And until we acknowledge that it's a problem everywhere and people hold their hand up and understand why it is a problem, it'll continue. Can I just say something I know you did actually, which I don't think, um, a black woman, because she, she'd asked me to help her publicize her GoFundMe and mm -hmm. she wrote to you and she and her daughter were trying to start a new life and they were trying to raise a couple thousand pounds and you gave her 500. I remember, yeah. I'm very, very grateful to you for that. And no, that's fine. thank you that you did, that wasn't publicized and I'm publicizing it because it meant a real lot to her. Oh no, it's a pleasure, it's a pleasure. Can I just say one more thing? Yeah. What I'm trying to do now, because, and it goes to with the Bernardo Silva situation. What, I'm, what I would like to do is to change the perception of the black image. The perception of the black image is a black person, man or woman, jet black skin, big lips. Why is that perceived as negative? Even within ourselves. When we see, when we see an image, one second, one second. When we see an image, if you saw an image of a light skinned John Barnes, Rio Ferdinand, in a cartoon form or otherwise, we'd say that's okay. But you all of a sudden put big lips and black skin on it and it's a negative representation. I understand historically in terms of the representation that that actually stood for, but when are we going to change that among ourselves and say if there's a black man with big lips, there's nothing wrong with that. And he's not, he's not unworthy. He's not less worthy than a light skinned John Barnes. You brought this up at the last part of the show. This, is a, this was a, been a good thing to discuss. I think black women have, have really led the charge in, in terms of representation of ourselves. I think black men are, have a long way to go, actually. If you want to do that for men, go for it. But for black women, we are streets ahead of our men when it comes to positive representation of ourselves. And you can see that everywhere. I think you're kind of lending yourself to that one incident where you you know the the european cartoon which was depiction depicting a sort of sambo type uh, depiction which you i it think if i recall you were it wasn't the so sambo type racist, depiction and yeah it wasn't a sambo it, type depiction it, it, really it was a suite it was a suite yeah now you know do we know ingola kante who plays no. for chelsea oh. do we know what he looks like no, I don't. Can I like? have a look for him? Okay. So you want me to try and get him Okay, up? look for N'Golo Kante. If Maltesers was going to do a, going to say to N'Golo Kante, we're going to pay you 10 million pounds to advertise Maltesers. So it's going to be a little picture of you. You know what he'll look like? A brown face, black skin, and big lips. And, it'll be, and, and that will be the image of him because that is what he looks like. And there's nothing wrong with that. I agree. So when we actually see that, why do we then feel that it's an insult? And I understand historically, I know all about history. Abbott, and you enable I understand that, but why? Why do we ourselves feel that that's a negative image? I, I think because you keep sort of glossing over the historically part of it, but the historically part of it's really important. And I did quite of course a it is. last year. We have become traumatized by that image. Now he's not. He's not in change. No, one second. He's not in change. He's not a slave. He has got black skin and big lips. He's got black skin and big lips. So why then, when we see? that do we then say oh that's an insult okay i think what i'm gonna do and i really wish like cindy you brought this up before because this is just a great point to speak about and it kind of lends itself because last year they um pulled a lot of the comedy off that had blackface in it and stuff and i wrote an article in the radio times which i will add into the comments of this show about the about blackface the history of it how it was used and how it was used to manipulate people and you know i kind of i know what you're trying to say in terms of this actual real person might look like something in blackface, but I think it's really completely different. It's if you're using it to disparage somebody, if you're using it to pull someone down, you can't, that's his face, you know? Absolutely. Like, if you're yeah. using it to disparage him, it wasn't being used to disparage him. And if it's not being used to disparage him, why is that image itself disparaging? It depends I'm on saying, the context, surely. Well, not, surely. I, can't, I can't call his face disparaging. I mean, <laughs> you have to see, you have to see the particular advert that um, I'm bringing up for you good guys to really understand after the show why I'm saying, well, for your argument for me doesn't we'll stand to that image. 
We do. I, I, I know why. And let me tell you why. Because what happened was after Bernardo Silva saw this image, yes, after, a week later, the history behind that image and the, the little suite in the Congo with a white hand going ooga booga, ooga booga came out. That was after all he saw was an image of a little round suite. He didn't see the cartoon. He didn't, no one knew about the cartoon till after that came out. No one saw the cartoon. So what I'm saying is that after seeing the cartoon, you're gonna go, oh, that's terrible. But Bernardo Silva did not see that cartoon. All he saw was a picture of a suite who he thought looked like his, his, his friend. Now, obviously the historical context which came out after that made it look really bad as I if he's making fun of him. I can I just really quickly say, this still speaks to the fact that I represent, I'm, I live in my council flat still. So let's just bring in that I'm sort of like in between yourself, Ada, et cetera. I'm saying to you that a lot of us, we have educated ourselves. We do know these things. The idea that you think that we don't is why sometimes you do get a backlash with a lot of us from the community, John, because I'm, I'm literally letting you know that this, the history of blackface is very, very prevalent in my environment and my upbringing. Okay, so it's not something that is um, foreign to us. You know, if you look at the, it was very Charlie Hebdo-ish, um, Ava, for you to understand the kind of uh, caricature of this individual. There was nothing, nothing sort of fun um, about it for black people just to look at that. But, you know, each to their own. Um, but I do I don't, I, 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 I don't know you. I would never assume that you haven't, you haven't, um, educated yourself. Why would you say that I am assuming you haven't educated well, yourself? Not too much. It's just that I think that sometimes there's this idea that nobody knew. The reason why he got the backlash is because guess what? The people that never get platformed between the celebrities and the elite you speak of never get to speak. So a bit like the internet in general, nowadays everybody's saying, oh, you know, black people now have got so many issues. No, we, we were always talking like this. These were Absolutely. all the conversations we had in our kitchens. And now the internet has amplified that. So it's I'm saying I didn't know. I didn't know that about that suite. Right. Until I saw it after. Did okay. you know? What the French suite? It's um no, it was Portuguese, I think. Because the French have Tete du Negre as well. No, it's a, it's a Portuguese one. I'm talking about I'm not saying I didn't know about it. I'm not I'm not being condescending to anybody to say I knew and they didn't know. It was a big surprise to me when I saw that cartoon as well. I was just going by what I saw in the suite. The cartoon came out after. So I don't, I don't know why you're saying that I, I'm being condescending to people as if they wouldn't know as if I know. I didn't know that either. I'm not, I'm not saying you're being particularly condescending. I'm saying that there's a, a clear blind spot in, 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 in this constant conversation, not just to you, but yeah, a number of people. You're saying, okay, I, I would like to use my power to speak for the likes of us. How about coming to speak to us and, and platforming us where we may actually have the skill set and the knowledge rather than you actually speaking for us. That's what I think, where I think sometimes these things go awry. And that's why I asked you the question about, do you feel that sometimes you're the best person to speak for something? I get called sometimes to have an opinion on something and I say, oh no, no, I, but I think Ava would be the right person. That's, that's, that's what yeah. we do. We spoke only a bit about passing the mic, which well, I- first of all, Well, first of all, first of all, the only time I'm being asked anything is when there's a racist incident in football. Then I turn it around to what's going on in the community. I turn it around to what's going on in the community. And they're not happy because I say, yes, football is bad, but what about this? Do you think, I don't know who you think I'm in terms of, I have any power with the television. I have no power whatsoever. My time is over. Raheem Sterling and these people have the power. I do not. So I cannot come. I would love to because I say, I say people in the inner city, the community workers, they're the ones who should actually be, be speaking to. But I think, John, the thing is this, right? Because I don't think, I think you're downplaying your influence. And one of the questions that we had from you, I really don't think you understand how significant seeing you, I mean, I remember you when I was, uh, young, I'm not that much younger than you, but I remember I learned all the words to the new order rap, the England, whatever. Like the everyone loved John, John Barnes. So please, yeah. like, it's not And like, you know who I am now? We know who I you are. I am the Jamaican John Barnes now. <laughs> no, mate. Yeah, I'm the, yeah you, you may think so, yeah? We, okay. we you, know you, who you are, John. Come you know who I am, but do you I think? You so, how often, do you, how often do you see me on Sky, on BBC? Do you know what job I have? Do you know if I do anything? What I'm actually saying is you're damn playing What platform do I have apart from Twitter? John, you were the John Barnes. Are you crazy? Yeah, I used to be John Barnes. No, 
I used to be John Barnes. Listen, listen, this has happened. This has happened. This has happened. He used to be Frank Bruno as well, didn't he? Did he stop boxing? I know. He was when I was Frank Bruno, John Conte, Linford Christie. Look at all these superstars who what happened to them now? What are they doing now? Because as soon as you retire, unless you're going to play the game when you retire and you're going to be part of the system whereby you can be on BBC talking about our turbulences in Montenegro or Bulgaria, you're not going to make it. You're oh. not going to make it. Because you know what I'll do on television? If they put me on ITV or Sky and they told me about football, I'm going to go, I'm looking at what about a representation in Sky on BBC? What black representation do we have here? Do they want to hear that? No. That's why I'm not on Sky and BBC. Whereas you see the people on BBC and Sky, what do they say? Bulgaria is terrible. Montenegro is terrible. That's well, what you hear from them. I think we're talking kind of about two different things. I'm not saying that you are on TV all the time as when you were premiership. I'm saying don't underplay your celebrity. You are a hero to a lot of us. We grew up, yes. we loved you. What are you talking about? You're still John Barnes, come on, mate. Like, yeah. Why are you waiting? With no power. Why are you waiting for that table to you platform have, you? Like, you? You still have the power. I'm gonna ask you this um, quickly because it's the last question that we have for you. And um, it said, uh, as we were saying earlier, I'm sure he's heard enough to know that um, you're an outlier. Um, the football question he wanted to ask was, how aware are you that of during your playing days of the powerful representat representative inspiration you provided for black youths? And what ex to what extent do you consider your current views to be consistent with that or a betrayal of that representation? My current views are completely consistent and I'll tell you why. Because, you know, when I played and I was getting racist abuse on the pitch, yeah? You know what I did? I looked up into the stand and I saw four, five, six black supporters. Yeah. What were they going through? What is happening to me on the pitch? Are those fans going to come and do anything to me? What's going to happen to those six supporters, friends of mine, who had to get to the game 10 minutes before kick after the kickoff so they didn't get abuse, 10 minutes before the game they had to leave, Who's talking about them? Right. Poor John Barnes. Poor John Barnes. When I'm being, when I'm on the bus going down the Holloway Road after Watford played against Arsenal, and I'm on the bus drinking a glass of wine and eating my lobster because that's how we travelled as footballers, and you had loads of fans on Holloway Road, Arsenal fans, and I'm not saying Arsenal fans are more racist than anybody else, and they're throwing stuff at the bus and they're racially abusing me. Isn't that terrible? I know who was walking amongst them, going about their business: young black men and young black women who were cowering in the in the, in the shop windows. Who's talking about how terrible it is for them? Poor John Barnes. And it happened to me again last year, pandemic, Liverpool versus Manchester United. I am now on the side of the pitch doing the commentary and Manchester United fans have to stay behind because you can't leave at the same time. So the stadium's empty. As they're leaving, they see me on the side of the pitch and they start abusing me. Because I'm a Liverpool player. I don't hear any racist abuse. It could have been. A, a, a groundsman comes over to me, a steward, and he says to me, I didn't hear it. I hear the abuse. He says to me, they're racially abusing you there. Because you know what he wants me to do? He wants me to say how, racially, how, how racist Man United fans are, as if Liverpool fans aren't. Right. And as I'm looking at the crowd coming down, there's a black man and a black woman, Manchester United scarves on, 45, 50 years old, in amongst this. Who's speaking for them? And that is why I say I completely reconcile myself as a player, because as a player, I was never, I was affected by racist incidents in terms of bananas coming on the field. But because I am a completely empowered human being, I could never let that affect me because I consider myself to be superior to them. I never went through that. My, mother and my mother's family started the Jamaican government. I don't know if you see my who do you think you are. They were quite revolutionary, quite socialist. I'm from an elite family in Jamaica. So I understand what discrimination is. And an elite light-skinned family in Jamaica, looking at black people with big lips in Jamaica, we would discriminate against them because that's how we have been conditioned by colonial system. So I understand conditioning, because if I, as a light-skinned man growing up in Jamaica, is going to look at my three maids, black maids, and feel superior to them, what chance have the white men got to feel superior to me? And that's what we have to, to tackle. Because this discrimination goes in amongst ourselves, men and women, and the gay community. Would you I, say you're a bit of an anti-capitalist then? Absolutely. Absolutely. Socialist through, through and through. Absolutely. Because it is very, you have to look at, when you look at, when you look at bias or you look at privilege, and this is how white people get away with it, because white people go, what about the white working class? I go, yes, the white working class also suffer from a lack of class privilege, but they, they experience white privilege. 
that the, the white privilege I experience has nothing to do. We're not saying that they're privileged. We're saying they, they everybody, all white people are, are white privileged, but they, they suffer a lack of class privilege. I am, I have celebrity privilege. So I'm not saying that I would go through what a normal black person goes through. And I'm just on Twitter today, sorry, last week, talking about the fact that when I'm driving down the road as a black man, I will get stopped by the police. But when a policeman recognizes me as John Barnes, he lets me go, but I'm black. So why does he do that? Because class privilege this is where the nuances come in. And this is what we have to understand. I agree. Anyway, let's talk about I this forever. Agree. I'll come back on. No, I agree, because I have pretty what? privilege. So um, the, just one more fun question for everybody, right? Um, it's not fun, but just a, a final question. It's nice to, to, to finish the question section on. Is just a quick opinion. Do you think the first POC prime minister in the UK will come from the Labour Party or the Conservative Party? What do you think? I think it's going to be a Tory. I think it's going to be a Tory because I think that the Tories, um, irrespective, you know, I'm not Tory, I don't agree with their politics and stuff, but you have to admit that the Tory party treat their people of colour better than the Labour Party do, which is quite a, a dichotomy because apparently- Certainly at the moment. What do you think? I think Tory, what do you think Aisha? Uh, well, certainly at the moment, the Tory party are treating their people of colour better than the Labour Party. Um, and I think as well, in order to get the Tories that would never vote for a person of colour Labour, it would have to be Tory. Does that make any sense? It, it couldn't work the other way around, because if it was a Labour um, person that was going for if it was a Labour candidate, the Tories just wouldn't vote for them on the basis of some probably racist things. Cindy, Cindy quickly. <laughs> I think I think 100% I agree. And I think the reason why is that um, in terms of the, it would have to be a black British person who's um, first generation, um, you know, being a Ghanaian myself and, you know, a bit like John, you know, goes back and forth back home, back home. A lot of black people don't see themselves as black, understandably, they see themselves as their nationality first and foremost. And often when they come here, they miss all the nonce that, you know, the Windrush generation and the African generations that have been here a bit longer do. So you will find that a lot of people currently in the uh, Tory party tend to have that proximity of sort of dismissing the black experience beyond in, you know, racist incident. They don't see the systemic issue until their kids are caught up in the system and by then it's too late. So yeah, I think you say Tory, John. We'll finish on you. What do you yeah. think? First POC. Tory. One hundred percent Tory. You think it'll be Tory? Because they, because they because they play the game better. It'll mean nothing, but they play the game better because they've been convincing people that they're representing them. That's what they'll do. <laughs> okay. Thank you, John, for joining us. Really, really Thank do. Thank you. Thank you no so problem. much. Nice to see you all. All right then. Bye. Take care. Take care. Bye. See you later. Uh, I think what's going to happen, uh, just, we'll just finish and close on what we were speaking about at the beginning, really. We had so much, we had so many comments, we had so much to say, um, but we got John and we just, he had a certain amount of time and we had to let him into the meeting for that period of time. Aisha, what do we want to, we just want to wrap it up as well, because last week, um, our Black Women's Hour lasted a hour and 46 and we're trying to bring it down a little to bit. have a less black hour, <laughs> yes, black hour like a you want me to read out um the first bits about medi that we just didn't have a chance to Ah, uh, now we'll pick up medi next week next week okay anything else i think uh yeah so i think just before john came on we were just sort of speaking about kelechi i think we covered oh, quite okay, a yeah. things in that about representation mm -hmm. and disparity and i think that was the problem with what happened uh, with Emma Barnett and, and uh, you know, the Kelechi incident, is that if you are going to say, okay, we don't want racists on because this person's made anti-Semitic comments, to then in the next breath, turn around and bring up Lionel, introduce Lionel Shriver, who has been extremely offensive. And I'll be, I think that she does have a blind spot when it comes to these things. And when I did uh, her show last year, in, around the context of blackface, uh, I was on Emma Barnett's show, her radio, I think it was Radio 5 at the time, speaking mm. about blackface, and she read out a comment about Francis Barber, Barber, from Francis Barber, about me, because I was talking about the League of Gentlemen doing blackface, and I said, well, I haven't actually watched that show, but, you know, I've seen the stills, on. she's mm -hmm. like, oh, for goodness sake, she hasn't even seen it, someone's on radio, I did nearly swear on, on that, because I'm like, I said to Emma at that time, do not bring that racist woman's views to me. I'm not mm. interested. 
you understand? And that is the problem. Frances Barber has made some outrageous comments about Muslim And she's people. still platform. She said to a Muslim woman, oh, stop killing us. She said some awful things. So we need to recognize, and what the media needs to recognize, is that if you're gonna go after racism, you're gonna have to go after all uh -huh. racism. And yeah. that is what causes bad feelings. With equal fervor. Well, exactly. Between you know, they'll the say they're, you know. Same them as the yeah, children. yeah, exactly. Like, so it's just like, you know, so this is where the disparity happens and this is where bad feeling comes in. And this is why when we speak about a hierarchy of racism, it is a fact. There was a lot brought up in what Mehdi said about South Asian racism. Unfortunately, we didn't get to it all. Um, but I would like to thank Cindy for joining us. You were incredible thank you. everything. And Aisha, as usual, um, you were fantastic. God, we we had so much. We so, had so much. We had so much that we could so say. Good. Keep um, guys subscribe to our channel, please. And also keep tweeting at us, keep sending us messages on Instagram. We suggestions, questions, anything. I, We're always there to engage. We yes, we are. And we do intend to go more than once a week at some point, but we have kids and they're home. Oh my god, kids. And <laughs> right now, all three of us have got young children. Yeah, everyone's just like, oh god, just at the sound of the word. <laughs> yours is eight, right? Mine's yeah, four, yeah, eight. The one at home and Cindy, yours is six. 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 It's hard, yeah. man. And homeschooling. It's an episode in itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Always yeah, I see that, Cindy. maximum respect to the teachers for what you do. Maximum respect. Stop slagging. Yeah, absolutely. They are doing a great job. And they Pay rise now. So um, thank you very much. And please, uh, we will say on Twitter who our next guests are going to be. And thank you very much for joining us on Black Woman's Hour. Black Woman's Hour and... 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting less black by the week. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Take care.